0: Hi there, everybody. This is Steve Kranacki, and I am the host of the podcast you have chosen to listen to. It's called Boozy Banter. And if you're not familiar with it, or if you're only familiar with it in passing, I can give you a, a quick explanation of what we do. Uh, this started a few weeks ago uh, when I discovered this thing called Meerkat, and you maybe have heard of Meerkat or Periscope. These are these these new live streaming. Um, video apps that have come out in the last few months, and, and I thought it was really cool because it, it allows you to get feedback instantaneously um, from anybody who's watching. They can just choose to watch your video feed, they can give you questions, they can give you comments, you can talk back to them, it, it all happens in real time. I thought it was really cool, and I, th- I said, this might be a fun way to do um, to do a show, to do a show on Meerkat, so I went over to my, my local bar one Monday night. Um, called up Josh Barrow, who you may know from the New York Times or MSNBC, and asked him, hey, do you want to come down to the bar and, and do the Meerkat show? And, and so he came down, and we sat there for an hour, and we basically we took questions, we responded to comments, whatever people on Meerkat wanted to talk to us about. And, and it was really fun. Um, it was a really cool atmosphere, we thought. They, they play some nice like Motown music in the background. It's a, it's a pretty fun spot. So I said, well, why don't we turn this into a regular thing? So we started doing this on Meerkat you know, once a week uh, for the last month or two, and then I said, well, you know, uh, the thing with Meerkat is you have to watch it when it's on, or you can't, you know, you can't go back and watch it. It doesn't archive it. So I said, well, how could we get it so that people could watch it or listen to it anytime? And we thought, oh, a podcast. Why don't we uh, tape the, the Meerkat show while we do it and then put it up as a podcast so anybody can listen to it anytime? So that's that's what we started to do. Um, this is the second one, I think, that we've put up. This is with uh, this week's guest. Uh, we just did this uh, the other night. Eamon Moyadine from uh, NBC News was our guest for the hour, uh, although I'll warn you, he was, he was a, a little late showing up. This is the perils of, of live uh, uh, meerkat live streaming uh so there's a little confusion in the first few minutes but then amon sits down we start taking questions we start talking it was a fun conversation so uh check it out and and check us out uh we hope once a week we're trying to get um you know people you know from from politics from the media from entertainment from culture we're trying to get one guest a week to come down to my local bar we'll drink we'll talk we'll take your questions hopefully you know you can find out more about these people maybe that you see or that you read or whose names you know um, it's a chance to get to know them in, a, you know, in a different setting. So uh, I hope you'll check us out in the weeks ahead and enjoy this week's podcast with uh, me and Eamon moyadine There he
1: is. There's Eamon. Oh, we found Keep him. rolling. There he is. Oh, he made oh, it. We in. Welcome. Take a seat. I'm a seat here. <laughs> what would you like to drink?
0: Uh, I'm going to have some water, actually. Can we get a glass more. of water? Yeah, water.
1: Uh-huh. you yeah. So wow. we're actually
0: on. Oh, all right. I'm sorry. I was running on Arab Newcastle. time a little bit late. We, were, we had lots of speculation about what the delay could have been. I thought we miscommunicated, and you thought it was ten o'clock. Was no, my, no, no. That it, was, that was, was definitely, that's definitely not what it was. I stopped to uh, to post a picture on Instagram, so is it was a really uh... oh. We need to talk about this. Okay, okay. it's well, a very well, important picture. Welcome, first of all. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure. Uh, we're so excited to have you. But th- you mentioned Instagram, and that's one of the things that I've been telling people all week. They say, "What do you want to talk to Amon about?" And I got a list of about twenty things. Awesome. One of them is this.
1: You have sixty
0: thousand Instagram followers. This is—is is that a lot? Put it this way: I have—I I check this thing. I, I have—I like to tell people I have the lowest number of Twitter followers of anybody on MSNBC. So I have, I have seventy-three thousand, something like that. You have seventy-three thousand of Twitter followers. Oh, Twitter followers! So okay. Instagram, I have like eight hundred fifty. Okay. And I got to tell you, I'm like a—that's a not to brag or anything—but I'm a pretty good Instagrammer. I take great you pictures I of love like, it. You you know, like bottles of beer and stuff. So <laughs> I get eight fifty with with seventy-three thousand Twitter followers. You have like. I say, but 140,000 Twitter followers, and yet sixty thousand Instagram. What is the what is the key to getting that many Instagram followers? What are you doing? Well, let me just first say, you know, it's not about the number of followers; it's the quality of followers. So you have eight hundred fifty. I have sixty thousand. But the truth is, you know, it's, oh, all about, it's all about it's all about the engagement. I think is uh, is what it is. I always like to you know look at other people like the. the There are a lot of people out there that have millions of followers on Instagram, so... But But you're in the class, you are in, like, a rarefied class of, like, I mean, like... Hulk Hogan probably has, that's a bad, no, but you know, somebody famous. Does anybody about, fact check the show or are we allowed to do no, that? Uh, no, no, uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> say whatever you want. There's no standards here, please. Um, but no, that's, you, I mean, what, do you, I, what I kind think, of picture listen, gets I, a great I, response
1: for you? Like it, what? it really
0: depends. I mean, I've had different responses from different pictures. Um, you know, it, one of the the trends that I've noticed where there's tend, where there tends to be a spike, at least in subscribers or followers, it, is when you're covering a really big story. Uh, you know, obviously this past summer, Gaza A lot of the international attention was on what was happening in Gaza. I was relying on social media tremendously uh, to report. In addition to what I was doing for MS and for NBC and all of our other platforms, I was also using social media as a way to capture real-time updates and providing with each picture, a little story and context of what I was seeing and what I was doing. So, I've noticed that in doing that, I did it a little bit with the Egyptian Revolution. I've done it on assignment in Ukraine and Japan. And whenever you start doing those, you realize that communities aggregate around specific events as they're happening. So, so. that's that's. So you're covering events of just global consequence. and yeah. You're on the ground and you're taking original pictures and you're bringing. Because I'm doing the same thing tomorrow. Exactly. I'm covering exactly. the Patriots Deflategate story Exactly. And, so and that's important, it's believe not about it, globally but, significant, No, you know? it, is, it is. It's a very important story. I mean, it's, it was the lead story tonight on our newscast. And whether you like it or not, you know, it, it raises questions about ethics in sports and stuff. And I, I think what's going to be more important is, particularly in a story like that where there's a little bit of a challenge, is that that's a story where pictures may not necessarily be rich, but information is rich. So the question is, how do you get pictures that reflect the information? You know, if you're interviewing a person tomorrow and you take a profile picture of him and, and, and just like a standard picture of him, provide a little context of who that guy is. And, and you'll realize that people will actually be engaged in, in the story of, you know, a couple hundred words that you write. So, in essence, you make your Instagram post a little mini essay. You can provide a little facts about it, you can provide a little. You know, background about who this guy is but if you just post a picture of the Patriots jersey yeah, um, I did that last week yeah I mean, <laughs> oops sorry my, you, best, my best picture on Instagram I, a couple of years ago I was it was in the dead of winter I was in Atlantic City, New Jersey which is just a dying casino town yeah. dead of winter is the worst time to be there and I was just walking on the beach and uh, there was a can uh, an empty can of uh, Miller Highlight. can yeah and it was just sitting there on the beach and I got down um, and I took a picture of it on the ground level You got like the ocean in the background and the gray air and this kid. And I'm just like, it's my favorite picture of all time. It got 12 likes. Well, so, I mean, we're talking, like, but it's, that's my best. That's the highlight of my Instagram experience. Listen, so you got to stick with it, and it'll get better. You know, trust me. And and you know, you, you tomorrow might be the day that you get a hundred Instagram followers because tomorrow might be a day that you know a lot of people in Boston or wherever you may be are following this story intensely on all various videos well, media- It's true. It's true what you're saying too about like getting the right people because when I was up there last week, we were at the so Tom Brady did that event last week yeah, at Salem I saw that, State, yeah. so we were we were standing out there, and we line of a thousand people, and we pulled a few people just to do interviews with them. So we get this guy. We we live. It was during a, during Hardball, right. and they throw it to us just you know get a quick reaction. So the guy, his his name is like Biff. That wasn't Biff, but it was like Ben or something. <laughs> from Back to the Future, remember? And he was like, he's about 25 years old. He got the Brady jersey on. He's got this like thick Boston accent. I'm from around there, but I can't do the accent. He had that thick Boston accent. This guy is like the face and the voice of Boston sports fandom. So I asked him like, you know, what do you think of the whole Tom Brady thing? Yeah. And he goes, you know. OJ could get away with it, so can Brady. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the perfect
1: I, quote from a Boston sports fan. From i I'm not
0: even gonna comment on that one. You know, that's, <laughs> no, that's, I, that is an explosive thing that could just you know. I didn't even know what to say either. Yeah, but it was, yeah. it, was uh, it was a fun moment. So. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's the Instagram thing. I was, I was very curious about that because I just the number just blows me. away. So Amy's doing something on there that, that nobody else is doing. I like to try to I mean, listen, sometimes I post personal pictures of myself having a good steak. I was recently in Texas, enjoyed some barbecue. So I posted it because it's something that like I really enjoy doing. And one thing that I realized that, you know, unites a lot of people is food. food. People love to talk about food. We can make fun of food pictures all day. And I think like, yeah, there are some times where people just go over the top. But I think, you know, how many times have we been in a city where we're like, man, I wonder what's a good restaurant. Or I wonder what's like a good place to grab a bite to eat or like something different that I haven't tried before. And people find find food, social media is a great way to kind of connect with people. Food, cats,
1: and grandmothers. <laughs> These are the things that just... I will
0: not post pictures of cats. That's no, one, that is one That is one promise yeah. I will make to all my but social cat media people. Cat <laughs> food. <laughs> food does not do well. But cats <laughs> and food separately do well. I think we have a question coming in. We actually have a good question. You got to say it into the mic now. Uh, oh, oh, knocked my over something. We've got a bell, we've got a whiteboard, we've got donuts. We're, we're trying to podcast, so we need... This is so Tennessee a- One, and he's going to... So, Eamon, uh there are a couple of people wanting to know uh, what is your go-to Instagram filter. And, uh, <laughs> and we're sticking with the, the Instagram. They, and they want to talk a little bit more about uh, Tom Brady, since that's one of the Bud Light segments. Well, Uh, Let me ask you about the Tom Brady one, even. So, I mean, you say it raises all these questions about ethics in sports. And I think the other theme, too, is it's just sort of it shows how people, I think sports stories like this are interesting because they show how how people's logic works on on most issues. They sort of, it's tribal. If you're a Patriots fan, that's like, I'm a Patriots fan, yeah. and that is my starting point. And they're being victimized, and they're being singled out. This is how I would interpret the yeah. story. And I talked to, like, I was on the air with Luke Russert last week, who is a well-known yeah. Buffalo, Buffalo Bills. Bills fan, and he's wearing the Bills <laughs> tie on the air, and he's just, this is an outlaw, and I'm just like, come on, if that were the Bills quarterback, he's not saying that. And if it were about the Bills, I'd be saying what he's saying. But it's just, to me, it just shows how none of this is really about the issue. It's just about loyalty. It is, but I think, you know, if you take a step back uh, from it a little bit, I think, you know, there are a lot of questions that can be asked about whether or not we uh, as a society are are treating people equally across the board in terms of how, you know, uh, and I'm not going to say that he did or he did not officially because I don't want to piss off any of the Bills fans or I don't want to piss off any of the Patriots fans. But I think there are bigger questions here. I'm not a sportscaster, so I'm not even going to weigh in on it. But there are questions about the NFL, its reputation. How does it, uh, you know, hand out punishments? Does it do so equally? Does it not do? Are some things punished more than others? Um, first of all, you know, I spent a little time in Detroit, so I'm a huge University of Michigan fan. And so by default, I'm a little bit a Tom Brady fan. There you, you know? go. I think he is an athlete, is a great athlete. Um, but I'm not going to weigh in on, on this whole Deflategate gate situation. But, but I just think that it, it's not simply... There's always the immediate reaction, and then there's always the big picture thing. And, you know, our immediate reaction is that kind of, well, Bills versus Patriots, loyalty versus not loyalty. But I think sometimes it's nice to take a step back, and even from journalists who don't cover sports but are more... Philosophical, who can take a big picture approach on on the sport and see the big picture trends of the sports industry and where it's going. So that's an interesting thing you said too. Like you, so you don't really want to weigh into the specifics. You, and and, and your, I mean, your role too. I mean, we, so much of, of television news, of cable news now, is it's opinion. It's people yeah. weighing in, and it's people who don't necessarily know the subject that well, but they yeah. have a hot take or a strong, you know, opinion on it or something. And you're much more of a. I mean, you're a reporter. That's that's what you are. I mean, just but do you ever find yourself? You ever find yourself wanting to say more, but feeling constrained by that role? Uh, journalistically, absolutely. On 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 very important issues, you know, you you definitely have to try to constrain yourself a little bit um, from from giving your opinion. I know that's hard. I actually, you know, because I'm active on social media. I mean, some of the things just recently that I've been raked over the coals for has been you know, posting a picture of Kanye West and saying that, you know, I I enjoyed watching him perform and and people weighed in saying like, how could you? Kanye West is nothing but a, you know, self-promoting individual. Um, And so what tends to be lost in that kind of very brief interaction is the context behind it and being able to kind of see and recognize a very humane moment, which is a celebrity. And despite all this faults, what I was drawn to in that specific moment was him taking a waiter who was working this event who it was the Time 100 event it was a big gala and he he saw this waiter in the back of the room who was like totally excited about the fact that Kanye was singing his songs and brought him on stage to sing with him so you know you can fault Kanye West and I'm not you know weighing in on his personality and all of what he's done in his life but in that one moment it was a bit of humanity and, and it was a very kind of it was, for me. It was a, it was something that I enjoyed watching, and so I, I put that out there. But people were critical of it. And, they, and what, so what is that? Because I have had some experience with this, and it, it was, it, you know, I always tell people like, I saw my dad this weekend, and my dad, I have the show on weekend mornings, and so you know we've got about 50, 60 viewers for this thing, and, and it's, it's just like meerkat. Um, no, <laughs> we, we do love that now. but um, my dad sits along at home, following on Twitter. And searching my name on Twitter yeah. and occasionally accidentally favoring like hate tweets about me. And I always try to tell him not to do that. But I, the thing I'm always telling him, like, don't look, don't look, don't look. It's just not going to. And, and I, I'm, it's easy for me to give that advice to people. But then, like, in my own life, I look and I tell myself, don't let it bother you. And I'm better with that now than I was before. But it's still, they, they still, do they get to you when you read the, the negative ones? It depends on how they're worded, Um, and I think it's the kind of language that's used, because at the end of the day, I, I truly respect social media, and I think social media is a conversation. So if I'm actually having a conversation with somebody on the street and somebody is disrespectful, they wouldn't say that to my face, but they can definitely disagree with me. So I draw the line when somebody crosses the line in terms of respect. I have absolutely welcomed every disagreement on social media. I love when people challenge and I try to engage with as many people as possible, but when it gets to the line of name calling, when it gets to the line of insults for no reason. Um, Which is so much of what it is, though, isn't it? I mean, cause it's no, so, I, anonymity I, lends itself I, to... It does, but I wouldn't... I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I would say that overwhelmingly my engagement with social media has been on the positive side. When I mean positive, I don't mean like, you know, people are supportive. I mean positive in the sense that it does not cross the line. Right. Like, it is by any measure an engagement that is either acceptable, not there's no profanity, there's valid criticism, I've been corrected on social media, I've acknowledged being corrected on social media. So I think that's important. Um, so I don't discourage it. I do do what you do, though, and tell my parents to not read it as much. Because, do they listen? Um, no, they don't. right. <laughs> but, you know, they got a lot of free time on their and hands. They, they, and they, they, they call you all bothered then about, like, how can, you know. My, my they, dad they starts it, quoting these names, <laughs> and they're, like, eggshell avatars with four followers. And he wants to give, like, this. I'm going to. And my dad is the same name as me, so that's the other problem. So my dad is Steve so, Pernacki, and I'll, I'll look at these, like, hate tweets, and I'll, I'll click on it. And it'll be favorited by Steve Kornacki, <laughs> you know, and I try to explain
1: it to him, but it's you know,
0: dad. No, I mean t- to be honest with you, I, I uh, no, my dad and my parents who are just my dad a little bit more so, but they they're discovering social media and, and the perils of Facebook. Um, I think they take it a little bit too serious. So they call me up right. sometimes and they're like, you know, so-and-so has said this and this. Have you thought about it? I'm like, um, I, no, I haven't thought Not about it. Not mentioned it right Not, now. I but I will, I, will, right. I will go back and check the post and the comment and stuff, you know. So it's, uh, it's always humbling. I always like to think of it. Well, now. speaking of, of social media engagement, we've got more questions, comments coming in. So Juan's going to give us a few more here. Oh, I did it again. But just get used to that. I don't know if you can hear that, but... on my t-shirt? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> What's on Eamon's t-shirt? That's the question. It says giving back is the new luxury. It's a, uh, it's a t-shirt for uh, Fashion for Development which is a, an NGO that kind of uses fashion to help development. Awesome. Uh, uh, somebody on Matteo, Amirka wants to know if you Steve, are our friends
1: your situation last week. I'm happy to
0: address that. Uh, yeah, I was I was on uh, one of the shows with Luke Russer as we were talking about this a minute ago, yeah. when the the news broke last week. So it got it got heated. I mean, I, but I thought to me it was all in good fun. Yeah, was, I actually I enjoyed it because like, he hates the Patriots. and I, That's my team and everything. But I, I so many like. Generally, when you have shouting fests or whatever on television, it's, it's these intense political disagreements, yeah. and they're not constructive because it's just you know it's just name calling. It's, nobody wants to watch. Yeah. I, personally, I think it's when it's sports, it's just fun because there's no pretense of. Seriousness. We're not talking about issues that are going to affect you know somebody whether they're in poverty or, or well to quote you know, to quote just, Tom Brady yeah. in one of his like most epic lines this is not ISIS exactly it's <laughs> so, not ISIS so we're gonna get we can
1: you know so trash talk it's okay
0: trash talk when in politics on TV all right that's kind of oh, a little belay, different a little but different. trash talk in sports I kind of I kind of like it but uh, I will say this also which I'm curious to know your opinion do you find a lot on social media that people question whether or not journalists get along like they feel that sometimes journalists have this animosity from one another like you know if we're friends with somebody on Fox they're like how could you and oh (laughs) well this I think this is the nature of media is like it's tribal too right I mean there's there's the red America and the blue America and each have their channel and and one's the enemy and the other yeah no I so you have some Fox News friends well, I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say friends, but yeah. Yeah. no, I do. I know people who are there. I'm, I'm joking. Yeah. yeah, I just again, it's one of those things. Like when you when you express something for somebody at Fox, you suddenly become like, how could you? That's so. Right. You know, this person is so and so, and. And you're suddenly how now associated with that. So I'm curious to know, like, did you get associated from the Patriots fans? Were you somehow criticized for oh, getting yeah. closer Here's the, the to, one to thing loop? I've learned in the last week um, is that I, about 96% of America hates the Patriots. <laughs> Passionately. <laughs> hates them. And so to see me on the air, you know, as making excuses or whatever. I mean, look, my, my take on it, I won't bore it with this, but like my take on it is just I'm sure they did it. Yeah. Take, I'm not going to sit here and say yeah. they're framed. Yes, they did it. My take is it's a very, it's. Relatively minor. Yeah. It's it's bending the stick too far in hockey. It's yeah. two minutes in the box if you get caught doing that. That it should be a slap on the wrist. They shouldn't. But I it. think I think honestly, I mean this is my personal opinion. I think Tom Brady should have probably owned it. I think Tom Brady should have been like, hey, I told yeah. the guys not to deflate the ball or to deflate them with as low as possible, yeah. but maybe not go lower than the standard. I mean I, I think it's part of it's I don't want to say it's part of the sport, but I think you're absolutely right. It's games gamesmanship. In the sense that can it be fine yeah can it is there a penalty to it probably but is this now like a kind of conspiracy of cheating at the highest level no everybody does a few things differently to kind of gain some home ice advantage or home court advantage or home field advantage so you do whatever you can within the parameters of the sport and if you tend to go over the parameters of the sport you know you get you should be called out on it but i think he also should have he should have came, come out and said look look the nfl does not measure ball uh, pressure before games this was such a unique circumstance i've generally asked them to deflate balls i didn't realize that this cuz i'm pretty sure that tom brady did not know that the pressure of the ball actually was less than that you know, I you, I like your take on this better than Luke Russert's. I can I can definitely I can definitely tell you that. I know. I, I love just, Luke Russert, so I don't want this to be a. Oh no, no, it looks great, but but I, I'm like, I, I you know, I just it's one of those things where where. They're an easy team to hate. I get it. Yeah. Belichick is so easy to hate. You have to be a Patriots fan to appreciate this dour, grumpy guy who just gives these two-syllable answers <laughs> at press conference. Seems to have contempt for humanity. Walks. Around. I mean, I, I, I get it. You right, know, right. In, in general, like I like the underdog. I don't like cheering for. Teams that have won, you know, four or five championships, whatever. Now I, I do it for the Patriots, but otherwise, you know, I don't like Duke, I don't right. like North Carolina, I don't like Kentucky. Yeah. You know, so I, I get it. They're they're an easy team to hate, and you get material, you get ammunition like this, you're going to use it. Yeah. So I, I understand, I understand. But it is it. The the, the blowback I got on Twitter oh, the yeah. last week was oh, uh, yeah. was interesting, and I'll be getting more of it tomorrow. We got another question. This is Brian. For Adam from Meerkat, they're
1: feeling, they're not feeling the blow. The oh. Adam's going to give the question. Oh yeah. Well. Eliza would like to know if uh, what do you think about race relations in the United States and if social media has kind of helped things or hurt things. How do you think about race relations? So
0: we're going from uh, deflating to race
1: relations, but that's what we do
0: on Meerkat Monday. We wow. jump. in. A bit. So, but that's an interesting that's an interesting uh, twist on it. Too. Specifically, we're talking about social media and we've had these stories about race that have you know, it was a Ferguson or Baltimore and and we're, we're experiencing so much of that through social media how do you feel what what impact do you think social media has on we always have this discussion on race in this country which I don't even know what that means yeah. but like what what impact do you think social media has I think at, the, at, at its very core, social media has democratized the media landscape. I think it's given people a chance to express themselves, coalesce around a set of ideas and values and events that are important to them that people in mainstream media may not have chosen to be an important story. Um, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the events, you can't help but wonder about so many of these incidents that have happened, where would we be? had it not been social media and, and the outcry. Um, and I'm not talking about the literal filming of incidents that have been questionable, but also just the amount of um, blowback that happens on social media, that people you know, will start hashtags, that people will organize, that people will express concerns about, that people will vocalize their anger. Is that, so like, I think it was Jonathan Sheet uh, for New York Magazine wrote about that a while. What you're talking about there, sort of the, the, the shaming that happens of, of people through hashtag campaigns online, and he was saying he thought in many cases or in some cases it, it was going too far, and that we were we were policing too aggressively in, in speech online. What, what do you think of that? Um, when you say shaming, you mean like shaming individuals who have made mistakes? Yeah, I mean I think I think he was saying this the sort of what he, like the call out culture, and um, maybe in some cases jumping to the conclusion too fast that there was a malicious intent or or. Listen, there are, there are a lot of pitfalls with social media, and we can get into that. Uh, you know, so, sorry, uh, social media at the end of the day, there's a product of it that's groupthink, that, you know, groupthink philosophy, which is that at the end of the day, big crowds are shaped by a certain set of tweets or messages or individuals, and the entire groupthink approach may necessarily be correct. So, do I think that there are pitfalls with social media? Absolutely shaming, the lack of redemption. It's very unforgiving. You know, you put something out there on social media, it may stay with you for the rest of your life. Whereas, you know, if you were to say something in a private room that may be just as bad, the people in the room may, may ultimately forgive you if you apologize and reconcile with what you need to do. So there is that aspect of social media, that once it's online, it lives there forever. You can't take back what you've said. Um, but I think the net benefit of social media, in the sense that it can raise awareness, it can draw your attention to things. I can't tell you how many times I've Been introduced to a story or an idea or a contact or a source through social media. I communicate with a lot of people that are sources based through social media. That's a little bit different than what we're talking about in the sense of this collective, large mobilization of people. Um, But I think also, you know, if you look at the core of movements, that's that's where you should look. Is look at. It's hard to measure because there's no science to it. But when you look at. um, if you look at the large crowds behind let's say the hashtag black lives matter um, are there people who are on the peripheries of that group that may be extreme that may be exaggerating that may have fabricated things absolutely it's the same thing that i saw in gaza this summer with the sense that people use pictures all the time of exploiting things and for emotional reasons and for shock value that were not true Mm -hmm. but at the same time the very core of what is happening The main driving force behind that, there are legitimate grievances. There are real things happening on the ground that should not be lost, and we should not dismiss the large collective for the actions of the few that are on the extreme fringes. That's hard, but that's where mainstream media has to be responsible and journalists have to be responsible. I I wondered, it's kind of a random question, but you've had the experience of covering Gaza, covering uh, Egypt in, in 2011, I mean, covering these countries that are are, are falling apart or or places, you know, know, war zones, um, incredible uh, poverty, desperation. You've had that experience and you've had the experience of being in the United States and and covering domestic politics here. And I'm wondering what, when you watch like a presidential campaign in the United States, when you watch a government shutdown in the United States, when you watch just just the the politics that we talk about so much on, on MSNBC, how does that look to you when you've seen, up close and personal, what you saw in Gaza, what you saw in Egypt? Well, I don't, I don't try to equate the two, but I will say this, which is, you know, first of all, I also see a lot of human resilience. I see a lot of um, positive and, and tremendous uplifting in some of these places, and, and the kind of desire of the human spirit to survive against all odds, and even in tremendous hardships. I mean, I lived in Gaza for two years, and one of the things that always struck me the most were how resilient the people were in the face of all this adversity. But going back to your question, which I think is a very important question, the harder thing is when I see American uh, politicians talk about foreign policy and I see what is either a fabrication of the facts, misstated uh, reality on the ground, manipulation of the situation or the reality, that's much harder. I I would never judge the debate or the political debate that takes place in this country because it's important to the United States. I, I mean, I think sometimes the discussion is in so many things. It can be short-sighted, it can be quick, it can be snarky, it can be politicized, it may not be substantial or substantive, and those are criticisms that I have just in general of of the debate. But the reality is that's what our society has produced, so you have to live with it for now, until it gets better, until we get better politicians, until we elect better, more responsible uh, officials, we have to deal with what we're in. So I never try to equate American politics with Gaza or elsewhere in the world, just like I wouldn't equate the political realities and the economic conditions of third world countries with what's happening in the United States. I think what's unique is to be able to live in both cultures, understand both cultures, appreciate what each culture has achieved and not achieved, and see where you can learn from living in so many different places. Like, what what, what has living in the Middle East taught me about what could work in America? And what has living in America taught me about what could work in the Middle East? And I think that's unique. Just so you know, don't if you're watching this too, don't take it as a, I'm not trying to be rude. If I start typing, on my no "No, not at all." What at I'm point. trying to do is occasionally send out the address to the uh, live stream so people can tune in and join. Excellent. So that's if
1: I look away and start typing, that's what I'm doing. But
0: do we have any more? Uh, let me go to Adam over here.
1: a yeah. question. There was another question about uh, wondering if you had any comment on uh, the DC media savaging Hillary Clinton. Was the way it was phrased. So do you do you think uh, the that's media has true. Hillary Clinton? Do you think the media has been particularly biased toward Hillary Clinton, or or the opposite? Well, I am typing this question into here. Has the media been biased in its... This is taking longer than I thought it would. Coverage of Hillary. And I said,
0: this is a question for Eamon. So Eamon, take it away. Has the media been biased in its coverage of Hillary? I'm going to be very honest and say that's not my area of expertise. You know, I, I know, I'm, I'm not, I, honestly, I'm not dodging the question. I just don't want to weigh on something that I know. Because I think to answer that question, I'd have to have a good perspective on how the media generally covers candidates. Do I think that she gets a lot more attention? Absolutely. Does that mean that's biased? No. I think her stature, given the other candidates, is very different. But others may disagree with me. So I don't know if I want to use the word biased. She's certainly getting a lot more media attention than other candidates. And I don't think anyone could disagree with whether... That's a fact. That is a fact. The question is whether it's fair or justifiable or is it biased. And I'm not an expert in American politics or American media coverage of politics to weigh in on that. I mean, I've always thought there's a—the closer—the more likely it seems somebody is going to actually be elected and be the next president of the United States, yeah. the more scrutiny there is and the more negative it seems. And, I, I, yeah, I think it—my take in—the Clinton thing goes back 20-plus years. I get that. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing about it right now is you're, you're looking at somebody within her party who's a, a bigger favorite than you've ever seen for the nomination. Yeah. and a reasonable chance in the general election. So you're you're going to see more scrutiny there. But, yeah, but the Clintons too, I, I think it's true. They've never had good relationships, good relations with the media. Yeah, um, they they felt the media was unfair to them from the beginning. They closed themselves off to the media. Yeah. The media then. You know what I mean? Listen, you I now that I, agree with you and I defer sides, to you because you, you know. definitely know politics way better than me, so I can I'll defer to you on that on that assessment. But I think you're absolutely right that with so much attention, also comes a lot of scrutiny. So you could one could make the argument that she's also in a lot more spotlight. She's a lot more in the spotlight, and therefore she's being asked a lot more questions within the first couple of weeks of her campaign than a lot of other people have been asked. You know, or has that already had a lot of stuff thrown her way than others? Right. Now that doesn't mean she's answered it, but it just means that it's in the. You know, it's in the, the thing, cycle of news coverage a lot more than others. The thing, though, about the Clintons that I remember from, like, the 90s, they like Whitewater. And now, if anybody remembers the whole Whitewater thing, like, what was Whitewater? Ultimately, it was nothing. Like, nobody—it was it was a real estate deal. It was the most scrutinized, you know, real estate deal in, in, in human history. Yeah. And, and it, did you turn up anything about the Clintons? No. Did it end up turning up the Lewinsky thing indirectly— Yes, but I, the whole Whitewater ordeal, what it really was, it was, it was the, the Clintons assuming the worst about the media and the media assuming the worst about the Clintons. Yeah. And then each side, each side's suspicion built. So within two years, the media is convinced the Clintons are hiding something and the Clintons are convinced the media is never going to cut them a break. Right. And, and, and,
1: and if, if just <laughs> it's a it's cycle. Like, it's a vicious cycle. Right. It's, yeah. it's
0: almost like a Cold War standoff. Yeah, yeah. It gets worse and worse and worse even though nothing's actually there right. and nothing's actually happening. And that was what I saw happen then and I, it might happen again now, but... That's the closest outcome answer it sounds like one has another question here let me let's do it yeah uh first uh it's like halfway through so it's time to eat a donut but while you're eating uh they wanted uh, a few meerkat people want to know about uh what jeb said about going to uh invading iraq even with everything that we've known so far yeah so that was some big news today uh i don't know if it was said today or said yesterday but jeb bush saying look even with what we know now i would have gone into iraq back in 2003 and he said hillary would have too but hillary has said now she considers that a mistake she her vote for the war to be a mistake so jeb saying that the thing that i noticed today about that just politically here in the us was uh the number of republicans jumping on him for saying that people who were in many cases very aggressive proponents of that invasion 12 years ago now saying no, that's crazy to say that. Um, you know, again, that's a, that's a tough question because I can answer it with my reporter hat or my personal hat. <laughs> so which one you want me to answer with? Look <laughs> to the personal hat. I think when you look at... Here's, here's what I was going to say personally, which is don't look at the Iraq war just by itself. One of my biggest um, frustrations with American foreign policy in the Middle East in general has been the notion of repeating the same mistakes over and over again. Part of that happens because obviously in this country we have a change of administrations, change of policies. A lot of policies are just carryovers from previous uh, administrations, and so they tend to stay in place and just perpetuate themselves over and over and over again. That's a fundamental problem. So when you take that, and this is again my personal opinion, but when you take that kind of statement and you say that you look at the lives lost you look at the wars that have been created, the spillover effect, the lack of stability, the rise of sectarianism, all of those things, has it been worth it for an alternative way of dealing with what was then a problem of having somebody like Saddam Hussein in power? I think you can debate that definitively to say, to come out and say, I would have done it exactly the same way, which is an invasion and toppling the regime. I think that's just extremely... Um, For me, it's disheartening to hear. I think it raises a lot of questions about the lives of Americans lost, the the people who have sacrificed so much. uh, For what? For a country and where it is today. Now, does that mean mean saying that I support the removal of Saddam Hussein, and I believe that there were ways that America could have helped to bring that democracy? That is very different. That is very different. I don't disagree with that. I I would not say to, to Jeb Bush or to any other candidate, I mean, they are allowed to say whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. But what, I, what I was trying to say is obviously people have their opinions, but to say that was the only way, and that was the only way I would support that, I, I think it's, for me, it's a little bit disheartening. I think there were so many other ways to support and push for democratic change without invading a country, killing hundreds of thousands of Iraqis, costing trillions of dollars, you know, thousands of American lives lost, tens of thousands injured, and creating a region of instability and, and the rise of sectarianism. You wonder how much of it too is just, he's walking, the jab is walking this, this sort of fine line, if it even exists, where he doesn't want to be disloyal to his brother. He doesn't want to it's diss hard. his brother's it's presidency. Yeah. Anything you're saying about getting it wrong in Iraq, you're implicitly Absolutely. saying Absolutely. your brother got it wrong. And, and Look, I mean, bad, whole... again, I don't want to give advice to, to, to Jeb Bush or to any candidate or anybody, but I would say the notion of saying Saddam is a bad president of Iraq or a leader of Iraq or a dictator of Iraq and should be removed, I, I don't think anybody is going to actually stand up and say, no, that's a bad policy objective. I think the notion of saying, hey, we're, there's weapons of mass destruction and we need to get rid of Iraq, we're going to invade it with a military, and to constantly believe that a military solution is the only way to address problems in the Middle East, whether it's wars in Iraq and Syria and elsewhere, and just constantly relying on military intervention as a sole objective of American foreign policy, I think that's problematic. I think somebody needs to break up, stand up and, and say, look, I wonder if it's working. Somebody in this administration woke up one day and said, I wonder if our policy towards Cuba is working. It's been 50 years that we've done the same thing. It hasn't worked. How about a paradigm shift? What are some of those paradigm shifts? What are paradigm shifts in the Middle East? What could they look like? Let's start brainstorming those paradigm shifts and see if we can do it differently in the Middle East and get a different result. And you hope it doesn't take 54 years, maybe. Like it did, like it did with Cuba. Let's see what uh, what Adams got on on Meerkat.
1: Uh, well, one of the questions, going back to the conversation you had past, was social media seems to be helping organizations like ISIS, and so wondering, you know, even though social media is great, is it also hurting things, you know, via terrorist groups like ISIS or, or, or other groups like that?
0: That a lot of attention that came in recently, especially with that that story that was a little murky, what was going on, but down in Texas. But I mean, the role of social media recruitment for ISIS. I mean, obviously, in that—that's a good example of where social media has been. Um, social media has been a conduit for evil and terror and recruiting and all kinds of problems. But again, I would say what social media has enabled, um, as a net result, is beneficial. So I would tell you that, as much as. Uh, ISIS has benefited from social media, I can tell you that democracy activists in Egypt have benefited from social media. I can tell you that uh, people in Gaza have benefited from social media elsewhere. Journalists have benefited from social media. So if I had to weigh across the board, you know, ISIS has this problem with social media, or ISIS has produced a problem within social media, but the benefits of social media tremendously outweigh that. There have to be serious questions about how do we... um, How do we make sure that the things that offend us in a in a way that is distasteful like beheadings i don't think anybody would say like oh you know we should have beheadings or not there's a lot of serious questions about uh freedom of expression and whether or not things like beheadings should be allowed should be seen my concern as a journalist is that if you start censoring things like a beheading which obviously is in a different category in a disgusting category do people then start exploiting the same reasons for not showing the casualties of war? And and I feel that sometimes in this country, we are a little bit too desensitized to the consequences of wars in Gaza, the consequences of killings um, that happen elsewhere. you know. And if we constantly don't see the results of our action, we may suddenly feel like, oh yeah, we invaded Iraq, but we are not shocked by what we've done in Iraq. We're not shocked by elsewhere. And we're not shocked by, you know, Christians that have been beheaded in Libya. So if we censor that and we just filter all of that out, we may be creating an environment where we're kind of uh, tuning it all out and not aware of it. I I wonder about that too. And And that's really for like big time, like First Amendment lawyers and and activists who who really understand that, that debate from free speech. I look at it more from a societal impact, which is I believe that society needs to know the more society is aware the more that society knows the more that society can access information the more knowledgeable they will be and there's a big difference between And I have always said this there's a big difference between information and knowledge you know in America we have access to information like no other country in the world the broadcast the meerkats the Twitter's the social media we have it on our fingertips we can find out what we need to find out within seconds but very few of us will ever really understand the driving force, the context, the analysis behind it. And I think that's the difference between knowledge and information. So I I would be reluctant to kind of just say like ban all kinds of graphic video of of these things online. What about, I mean, you talk about like censorship, free speech issues and everything. I mean, the big controversy over the last week or two was this Pam Geller. She's this uh, basically an anti-Muslim activist, I guess you would call her. You Call her something else. But... um, the idea that the Draw the draw Muhammad contest that she's sponsoring, and, and is that something that should be allowed, should be, should be encouraged, should be discouraged? What, what do you think about how to think about something like that? I think it should definitely be allowed. I do not think absolutely under any circumstances somebody like Pam Geller should be silenced. I don't think that things like that should not be held. Um, I think it's up to the local communities and others who are willing to venture into that space and say, hey, we're going to... Uh, host this event, they should definitely have all the support and all the resources at their disposal to hold an event like that. Um, you know, I, I said this earlier, this does not offend my sensibilities as a Muslim, it does not offend my sensibilities as an American. I absolutely tolerate it and encourage people to challenge other human beings. You, you only benefit when your faith is challenged. I mean, I'll tell you one thing that's kind of been interesting about this, and I know it is for a lot of Muslims as well, you know, at least among circle of friends. You know, the question of images of the Prophet Muhammad and whether or not they're allowed or not allowed really has come into sharp focus within the Muslim community since the Charlie Hebdo attacks. Now, there's a difference between you know, caricatures and, and kind of uh, insulting cartoons and caricatures that are meant to demean and offend, but there are also opportunities to learn from them. And I'm speaking again here for myself. I really began to learn whether or not, from a purely religious point of view, is it offensive to have an image of the Prophet Muhammad. And you can literally see within Islamic theology a difference of opinion. Now, I kind of grew up being taught one thing, but at the same time I learned a lot about that just from in the last couple of months. I really kind of delved into trying to learn and understand whether or not it is prohibited to have pictures. I think for most Muslims, you grew up with the notion that drawings of the Prophet Muhammad and images of the Prophet Muhammad are uh, blasphemous, okay? Um, it's one of those things that's probably cultural, not necessarily religious. So you know, when I started reading into it, I, and recently in, a lot of couple, in the last couple of months, a lot of Muslim scholars wrote actually saying, no, there were you know, centuries where people celebrated the image of the Prophet Muhammad in different forms. Now that's very different than what Pam Geller and those guys are doing. Because that goes into the into the realm of as you were saying, Islamophobia, anti-Islam. She may not say that, people may argue it's free speech. Yes, there's a core of it that is free speech. But we also have to address issues like anti-Semitism, racism. You know, are you allowed to say things and, and are you allowed to apply? And this is the point that I was making earlier. Is the notion of free speech applied equally across the board? And I would argue that it is not. Not a not across religions and groups, but we certainly have a we have an inequality with how we apply. So, the like, give, give us an example. Like, where do you see that? I, I mean, I, I just think the notion of what you can and cannot say in the media, I think, is not necessarily, or in, in general in society, is, is not always equal. You know, and with race, with religion. Um, so, I, I, I don't want to go into this territory because it always tends to, you know, be sensitive to people. Right. But I question whether or not people could actually hold a conference like that for any other faith. And I'm not talking about, you know, a Book of Mormon play on Broadway. There are plays on Broadway that were very crit- critical of Islam. I mean, there was a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, Muslim writer who wrote a play that was on Broadway. Nobody felt that it was in any way, shape, or form a threat to Islam. It didn't need any extra security. So people who constantly make the comparison, oh, well, what about Book of Mormon? That's demeaning. There's artwork that's been demeaning of Christians, and that's also, you know, questionable, but. What I'm trying to say is that I can't imagine a group of, you know, uh, white supremacists holding a conference of drawing the most, uh, you know, vulgar pictures of black people in this country and seeing everyone say, oh, it's free speech, let's defend it. I think it may have, and, and this is another point I was making, legally can it happen? Probably. Would it be protected under free speech? Probably. The question is, what would the society's backlash be to an event that was organized like this? You know, that's, that's what I was trying to make in some points that I made earlier in the week when this issue was coming up was that, is there a double standard in terms of applying free speech across the board? And, you know, obviously Christians in this community feel that they're under uh, attack and feel that they're being criticized and, um, you know, conservatives feel that as well. And so everyone has their opinion. I, I think it's just it's interesting if we can take a step back uh, and not everyone look at it from their perspective only and maybe we can foster a better understanding well, now, now we're getting into that same territory we were with the Patriots it's tribal <laughs> everybody knows what, what team they're on yeah. let's, let's see what Adam's got over here
1: Sure, Turpin my R answers are didn't... really
0: long you gotta tell me I mean I can uh, I can shorten my answers no, no, this, is uh, meerkats, it this is meerkat time doesn't matter this
1: is... time is everything uh, Turpin R was wondering uh, what do you think about WikiLeaks and do you think WikiLeaks has done more harm Good, and she was kind of equating it with social media and you know allowing access out there, allowing information out there. WikiLeaks.
0: I'm a person as a journalist who subscribes to the notion that more information is better, that um, trying to hold the powerful uh, to account is important for good, healthy democracies. I don't generally believe that um, all democracies or all governments want to share all the information they have, and they shouldn't. I'm not saying like they should share state secrets and stuff like that, but I think there are, uh, you know, governments do a lot of dubious things that I think when we have information that can inform the citizenry and have a better public knowledge of what's happening, I think that's healthier for our society. i, I so what I was trying to do there was I was trying to put like a quote, you know, so if you're watching a live event on cable news, <laughs> it'd be like, you know, Obama uh, uh, repeal the death tax. Like, you know I I'm trying to find like a good quote from you. But uh, I'm not a fast enough typer. Knowledge, so is, I, I, knowledge is power. I want to push the want word. <laughs> knowledge is power. You can just go KIP. Here we go. more you know. Eamon, <laughs> <laughs> what's the message you want to send to people to make them tune in right now? I want you to Give ask. Give me a quote. Can you ask people this? Yes. Should I eat a chocolate sprinkled donut Great. or a vanilla sprinkled donut? I, we got 10 minutes to get an Survey. answer that before the end of the, the program. Uh, this we could do, Eamon. Wants to know if he should. Let's test the power of social media. Chocolate. I can't even spell should right, wait a minute. Chocolate sprinkled, right? Or what was the other one? Or chocolate sprinkled donut, right? Or vanilla with sprinkles. Or a Boston cream. Vanilla with sprinkles, or Boston. And a cream is spelled like that in Boston, something. right? Buy for chocolate. Votes. We got a we got a pro chocolate crowd tonight. It's
1: divisive. Let's see. Now we're we're blasting it out. You should put this on Instagram though, if you really want to get. Oh, a I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, take i gonna. I think that's the. I think that's the key. Well, while they're voting, let's see what else they're telling, talking about on uh, well, Meerkat. Everybody wants to know what Eamon's and signature dishes.
0: Signature dish. Everybody was was it, Is this the question that got Mark Halpern in trouble the other day? Was that? a signature dish? What's your signature dish?
1: Like what do you
0: cook at home? Oh man, you're asking the wrong guy. Like I do, do you cook? Cuz I don't I, cook. I don't. I don't cook. What's your
1: signature takeout meal?
0: Oh, man, I mean, takeout meal is definitely probably going to have to be something in the Asian market, like a Chinese or a Thai. Um, those are those are always go-to solid moves. You can't go wrong with a little General Tso's the, chicken. Are the, these are, like, the most basic These are the most out, basic. Yep. Like, I don't even need to read the menu. I'm going to go with... I can tell you what my order is blindside, like, on Seamless. It's, like, General Tso's <laughs> chicken, two spring rolls. Sometimes I go with the stir-fried rice just to mix it up a little bit. If not, I go with the white rice. Yeah, the says that... The board says that Steve doesn't like yeah. veggies whatsoever. Veggies. Do you, do you like any vegetables? I don't. I'm not a big veggie guy. You're not. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Veggies, veggies, veggies don't rate high on my Instagram pictures. Do you, do you like sweets? Or do you have a sweet tooth? I have a ridiculous sweet tooth. I am. It's like I'm, an, I'm a Be- sweet peanut addict. Butter. Everything. Oh. I've never been known to turn down anything that has sugar in it. So good thing we got the donuts for you. Today. I know. That's, you know, I mean, I'm what's strong. winning in it? Let me check. I can check my responses to see if anybody's voting on this. Uh, I think chocolate's got this one in the bag. I'll cook for both. Oh, that's something else. Uh, Boston cream chocolate spread a lot of Boston cre- actually a lot of Boston cream I'm seeing that's because it's on your Twitter feed I and your fans are here, a little though, bit yeah. biased towards anything with Boston that's in that's true <laughs> although I have to say I would easily vote for Boston cream there that I is, would go with Boston cream that is by, the best donut I ever had but I think you also this is an example of where you rigged this setup because like if you would have got a sugar donut with strawberry filling that would have been a solid choice. Is that, would, you, would that be your choice? That would have probably been my choice. That would have been my I, choice. Th- but you've kind of like rigged it. You've got four, uh, I'd say like seven out of tens, and you got like two ten out of tens. So you, but it's your choice is a Boston cream, too. I know, but if it was going in this category, yeah. If I had a strawberry sugar-filled donut... Do you remember, don't, the, do you ever have the apple cider donut? I've not had that one. They discontinued it. Dunkin' Donuts oh, yeah. made this like ten years ago. Oh, no. It only came out in the fall. It was the best thing I ever yeah. had. I would get like six at a time... It wasn't good for me. Am I, I mean, I, I'm i addicted to sugar, caffeine, carbohydrates, diet... It's just... Uh, You're like Atkins' worst nightmare.
1: Truly. I mean, <laughs> although didn't that, now Atkins... Atkins died of... Did, he, did Was he one of those guys who was like... I'm he, not addicted,
0: even going to speculate nah, about that. <laughs> anyway,
1: I, I, I hope... Rest eating, in peace, wherever he is. If
0: a bad diet is bad for you, I'm not going to make it past forty. That's, that's
1: what I know. What, what else are we hear here? Well, people are still weighing in about uh, what kind of donut. What, are you, what are you getting at Meerkat? There's there's a lot of chocolate. There's a lot of votes for chocolate. Chocolate people it is, guys. We
0: can call. Donut. Donut. We can call. Oh, by the by the end by the end of the show, we're going to take a chocolate donut. I'm going to take a, a bite out of a chocolate donut live on Meerkat. The most exciting thing we're seeing here is there's a chocolate donut emoji. Oh wow, yeah. that one. Cause I've really got into emoji in the last couple of days. Somebody. I don't know. I'm fitness. gonna do it. Should I do it now? I'm gonna wait till the last minute of the show. Okay, we'll do it on camera. We'll tell you, I'll post a picture you can on do Instagram. Do one now and one at the end. I'm not gonna eat two donuts. You can indulge that sweet tooth. <laughs> you gotta get up and do the do first look. Is that what you're doing tomorrow? Uh, it's uh, early West Coast Today feed. It's the the Today Show has a West Coast feed at 4 a.m. West Coast time.
1: Ooh.
0: So I gotta wake up for that at 4 a.m. So 7 a.m. It broadcasts at 7 a.m., but I go in at around 3:30, 4 a.m. for it. Oh. Yeah. And you're doing this. This was. This is. That's what I'm doing for Meerkat. This was wow. This was a, I'm doing it for you. Well, I I can't <laughs> tell you how much I appreciate. I, I got to get on a train and go to Providence. Okay. Well, there January you go. For the, for the Patriots. What time thing, you got to be up? It's a 6:20 train, so I, I think I can get up it. thirty. Oh. Well, I think I could do four even better. Even better. What's the worst
1: that happens? Actually, that'd be pretty catastrophic if I miss work They'll say but, that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so maybe not. We, we got still got about five, ten minutes. Let's see what else they're saying. On, uh, and there was a question about what is your most frequently or recently used emoji. Do you use emoji? Oh, my God. I'm an emoji addict. I use what's emoji. You, what's you, mine is the cow. The cow. Just because it's there's no cow. reason for the cow to be on there. So I send people the cow picture all the time now.
0: It depends. I actually love the tear, the laughter, like the teary-eyed laughter emoji. I like the thumbs-up emoji. I no, use that a lot. The, the thumbs-up emoji is pretty classic for me. I like that one. Um, the AOK one, but kind of like, yep. you know, that's a bit of like... Because you can use that like a smart-ass kind of way, and you can also kind of use it as like, you're spot-on, right on. <laughs> you know? I realize they're so great. I used to think they were just for like teenagers or something, but then... It's perfect for those conversations where you just, you don't know what to say, yeah. and either it got way too serious and way too intense, you're like, whoa, so then you just like break the tension emoji. with like yeah, the yeah. cow emoji, or, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a clever way of saying, if you said good or nice or ha-ha. I've also, but that, the, the, you know. It's so funny, it's, uh, I've actually, I remember using emojis in certain circumstances to deflate a conversation. Exactly. You throw a like emoji and they're like, what the hell is that emoji? <laughs> you're like, oh, that's, and you totally realize that you're talking about a different emoji. Like when you somebody like says to you like, Hey, what is that emoji? and you're like, Oh, I sent it to you because of that and then you just took it's a great way to deflect the conversation yes, from like no, what I'm like, plus I like saying And I like, and the I like that they've made them a reaction. little bit more uh, you know, racially friendly right now. There's a little bit more racial diversity. We we did a uh, that came up not in, our show. and not all emojis are created equal, you know? That's true. Well there's there's thousands of them. There's an emoji for literally there's even flags I don't even yeah. recognize and uh, the um, We'll get one more question from Meerkat, but let's find out, there are lightning rounds here. That's what I'm going to call this. this let's do find out a little bit about uh, about the real uh, aim in here, so oh. favorite movie? Uh, good Will Hunting or Slumdog Millionaire? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Maguire was up there. Gladiator was up there. Jerry Maguire. Oh yeah, See, totally. I've, I've heard people say they didn't think they would age too well. No, Jerry Maguire is a really good movie, I think. Um, You know, there's always some classics, adventure classics, you know, the Top Guns, the Bloodsport, Kickboxer, going back to the old school 80s, you know. Favorite soccer team? Favorite
1: soccer team?
0: I mean, on a national team, I'd probably have to go with Brazil. I'm a big Brazil fan. Uh, on uh, On a club level team, I'd have to say Real Madrid or AC Milan.
1: What's your favorite TV show? We'll include Netflix in this.
0: I'm a big fan of Empire right now, I'm catching it. My favorite all-time show is probably, I mean, Friends, Entourage are two of my favorites. Right now I'm a big fan of uh, Empire. Empire. See, okay, now everybody I know has seen that, I still have not watched yeah, it like, but you know, it's like it, a it, phenomenon. It's a little bit of an escapism, you know, like you sit there, you watch it, it's kind of like, it's entertaining, it's got a good entertaining value and you kind of realize that you've killed a little time. So,
1: and then, so the, the, the
0: set up is the guy is dying, is that what it is? The, 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 the well I'm not going to give anything is, away because I know yeah, you're going to catch it when it starts true, in yeah. the second season. but. But that is where the season starts. You're under the impression that he is dying. So he's trying to get his house oh, but in order. the way you word that tells me by the end of the year he's been I'm not. He may have died. He may oh, have died by the end did. of the season. Oh. Yeah. I'm not going to give away oh, any yeah, secrets. I am going uh, to watch it because I've, yeah. I've heard good things about it. Uh,
1: let's get another question from here. Sure. Mike wants to know, what don't you know and how will you learn it? What's that? <laughs> what don't you know and how will you learn it? it sounds like a college entrance question or something. I know. Like, what's
0: the... Mike, is it Mike? It, it was Mike or Matt? I think the correct answer here is... Mike. Um, the correct answer here is Wikipedia, by the
1: way.
0: <laughs> First of all, two things. One is that there are a lot of things in the world I don't know. Anything that is science-related in the world, I ask my brother. He's a neurosurgeon, um, so I get to kind of pick his brain for free sometimes. And uh, he also has a Ph.D., so I get the benefit of, like, strong academic... Other than neurosurgeon. Does that, do you feel... Oh, the, there's no, some inadequacy you feel? You know, the, the funny person? thing I always joke around about is that, you know, as the son or as an immigrant myself, my parents always kind of wanted to have like a doctor or a lawyer. They wanted to have two doctors or whatever, an engineer. So I always joke around that my brother has a PhD degree and an MD. So I always tell him, you actually got two doctorates in the family. It's true, he's got both degrees, <laughs> but at least you got two sons and you got two doctorate <laughs> degrees, you know? You come out even in this equation. But uh, but yeah, if there's anything I ever need to know about science, I always kinda I kinda direct it to him, but if not, it's pretty much Wikipedia or Google at this stage. So those are your those are your science classes where you're like when I was going like in high school I had to take a chemistry class. It was terrible at it. Physics it was terrible at it. I can do I was good at math until I got into like um what would this be? Like, you know, cones and spheres and volume <laughs> and high thing. I couldn't I just I couldn't do that. I still have I graduated high school 18 years ago. I still have nightmares about my calculus class, <laughs> about the teacher coming around, check my homework, which I didn't well, you do. Well, right, let me tell you, you something. Know. You should thank you. Should, you should be thankful that you're not an Arab, because Arabs take that very seriously, because they feel like they invented algebra and all these. So for them, it's like an issue of like pride. If you're if you grow up and you're like you don't know anything about algebra or trigonometry, you're almost like you're a bad Arab. How could you not know your own culture and history? So you and, could you could calculate the volume of a sphere.
1: Would that be even a thing or like... <laughs> or exil- Absolutely. And cones. I was
0: like, well, who the hell is ever going to need to know Some this? this? Somebody where am me I as... gonna be? Where am I going to be in my life where I'm like, if only I could calculate the volume of this cone right now, I'd be able to, what, get my law degree, raise a family... No, but you, I mean, you would just... know whether or not you could squeeze in another scoop of ice cream into that cone. You know? can always squeeze another scoop of. You it. You could tell the guy behind the Baskin-Robbins counter, sir, I think you're not going to be able to get that third scoop of vanilla chocolate combo on there. You know. Speaking of vanilla chocolate, do we have a, a verdict oh, here? Definitely straight up winner. This is the Hold on, I'm going to take a picture of this to you. Are we getting this? Oh yeah, somebody's got to take a picture so we I, can I Instagram. I if you want to do a selfie. No, we got to do it together. We're not going to kiss like we're not going to, you're not going to bite into it while I'm No, no, it, no. It. You want me to bite into one as well? Yeah, you got to bite into the one that you I want. want. Uh, I, was, I was waiting for you to yeah. grab a donut. I am like, because okay. this one's going in my mouth. Yeah, I, I didn't know want what I, it. Was it like a Lassie's? <laughs> uh, not
1: Lassie. What was it? Like, we need to trip. All right. we got? All right. All right.
0: Well, you chew out. We got one minute. So, Amy <laughs> this is the best part of the show. Oh God. What's your final thought? What do you want? What's the one thought you want to leave our great Meerkat podcast audience with? The one thought I wanna leave with everybody since Meerkat I would say falls in the category of social media is that be nice to each other out there, be critical of each other, don't rip on each other. Every person that you see is simply a handle is a name, is a person, is a human being with feelings and emotions. And you should use this opportunity to learn, not this as in like this conversation. I don't know if anyone learned anything from us, but connect, get to know somebody, see them for who they are as people, not simply as like talking mouths or, uh, like I said, a profile picture that you can just totally demean and rip. That is, that is like as profound as the end of a a Jerry Springer episode. (laughs) Be good to yourselves and each other. And I'm not the father, I just want to say. (laughs) No, no,
1: that's that's boring, that's boring. (laughs) Totally different show.
0: <laughs> Jerry Springer is like, I gotta throw a chair at you or something, right? Like, it's just fights. Okay. So it's just fights, Anyway, Eamon, thank you so much for my doing pleasure. This. It's really a real it. honor to be here with you guys and you know pushing the envelope and I guess like discovering new frontiers and new territories online.
1: This is this thanks, is the longest running show. Thanks to Meerkat and
0: thanks to wherever we are, Dunkin' Donuts, and every place that has uh, allowed this to happen. It is, and we are the longest running show in Meerkat history. <laughs> Episode seven now in the can. Thank you everybody for watching. I think we're out doing the podcast this week. So if you listen to that, thank you for that. And we're going to be right back here next Monday night. So check us out. Do you know how many calories are in this? 50? <laughs> I mean, the one bite.